Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to the book of Acts. We're going to keep going in our series about the life of Christ lived out in the community of faith, in the, in the people that he left as a witness in the early part, uh, in the early centuries after his, uh, after his departure. And so uh, Luke is uh, the, 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 uh, the author of the gospel. Uh, Luke wrote uh, Luke about Jesus' earthly ministry, and then he wrote Acts as the sequel to tell you the life of the church, the life of Jesus in the, in the life of his people. And we're going to look at this next section um, in uh, Acts chapter 5, follow along, and I'll start reading chapter 1 down a little bit, or verse 1 down a little bit as we focus on this next section. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled you with, filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept, yourself, and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money in your, uh, at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, He fell down and died, and great fear seized all that heard what had happened. Then a young man came, then the young men came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him and buried him, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and your husband you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that was the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came up and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles Uh, performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers uh, used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one ever dared join them, even no, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick and into the streets and laid them and their beds, mats, so, uh, so that the Peter's shadow might fall on them As he passed by, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and their tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace today. Thank you for the, the way that you, uh, that you guide us. Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning, no matter our situation. Lord, those who are afraid those who are struggling, those who are, who are anxious, those who are uh, uh, 
curious, uneasy. Lord, I pray that you would each lead us each to see you and to discover you, that it might cap- take captive our thoughts and our, and our emotions and, and our will. Lord, do that for your namesake and, uh, and for, your, and for your, the advancement of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I go, I, I, it, 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 it freaks me out. And I and I'm, I'm and I'm thinking I'm thinking of Luke writing this writing the the his book, and I'm, it's not a long book. When you're talking, you know, when you're trying to describe, you know, when you read the book of Acts, it doesn't take long to read the whole book. It's a, it's a short book, so he didn't include everything. I mean, there's probably a lot of things about the church and about and the, and the inner inner workings of what went on in the church. That uh, and it goes over a course of you know decades of time, um, and and he writes and he writes about a lot of different uh, people in the church and missionary journeys that Paul took around the world and and uh, and so he obviously when Luke's writing this he obviously didn't include everything you can't it's just too much right, but then I start wondering why did he include what he did and. And why this story? If you're trying to get people to come to church, this isn't the one. This is the one. I mean, I'm thinking, I gotta imagine, I gotta imagine that somebody in somebody in the church when they're, hey Luke, how's that how's that book of yours coming? That, <laughs> that they're not asking him, you didn't include that, did you? I mean, that was really? Trying to get people to come to church, trying to believe in Jesus, and you're gonna include this story? Does that not does that not occur to you? When, you're, when you read this, when you see this, I mean, there's a sense where I go, I, I'm not sure why, but I, I, I say that as a buildup because I, I kind of, on the other hand, when I, hear, when I, when I see that kind of story, it does run through, the, those ideas do run through my mind, but on the other hand, when I look at this, I am so grateful for stories like this in the Bible because it, actually, it, it helps me to know that the Bible is absolutely true. Because if, because, because if you're trying to make everything look good and get people to believe in something that's as outlandish a story as this, you don't include stuff like this. You don't include it unless it's actually happened. And so when I see stories like this, it proves to me how absolutely reliable, how, because, because God is willing to put out, he's willing to put all of, the, all of the wrinkles and all of the warts and everything right out there. He doesn't hold back anything. He doesn't, put, he doesn't just put the shiny parts. He puts all the mess right out there and says, here's how it is. And, we've, and up until this point in the book of Acts, we've been seeing all kinds of great things going on in the life of the church. And, everything, and then you might think to yourself, oh, wow, that's pretty, they're pretty spanking shiny new. Aren't they that great? And then you discover, nope, they're just, they're, the church is still a mess. It, and... and I spend I spend a considerable amount of time with a, with people with a lot of people who um, throughout the course of my week and weeks of uh, people who don't go to church who don't and uh, and often in uh, often in those relationships and in those conversations it, it'll come up we'll we'll over over the course of of months and maybe years we, we go through uh, we get into a place where where the, the discussion of um, why you don't go to church or why you don't believe in Christianity comes out 
in those moments. And, you know, uh, and I hear. I hear great sort of critique. And often the critique is, I don't go to church or I don't believe in that stuff because, uh, because, um, because I, you know, I grew up in that context, maybe somebody will say, I grew up in that context and the church hurt me. And so I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a part of that anymore. I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I have a lot of questions. Some, people, some, some person I was talking to said, you know, I have a lot of questions. I'm very curious. Um, I, I, don't just, I don't just believe everything that's told to me. And when I, and when I go to church, they don't, they don't encourage that. Another person said, I don't go to church because it's just full of hypocrites. Another person said, you know, those people act like their stuff doesn't smell. And I find, I find a, lot of the re, a lot of the objections that people have to Christianity and a lot of the objections that people have to the church to be pretty legitimate. I really do. La, I mean, I find, albeit legitimate, legitimate objections, legitimate grievances, legitimate uh, issues, but often unnecessary. And the reason I say unnecessary is because, that, is because underlying those legitimate reasons, le- legitimate ideas and issues that people have about the church and Christianity, underlying that is a misconception about the church. And the misconception is that it's, that it's pristine. That it's somehow, it's, that it's better than everything else. And so when it's not, when it lets, the, when it lets us down, then we, then we get overly injured. But it was because my presupposition started in the wrong place. It's like if I, if I, uh, if I get, um, if I get uh, pricked by a porcupine while picking him up, and then I yell at the porcupine for p- pricking me with, how can, I, how can I yell at a porcupine? How can, I be, how can I be completely upset with the porcupine for doing exactly what the porcupine does? He's got spiny little sharp quills. That I can't expect him to be any different than that. And the church, God's kingdom, God's people are, they are not, um, God's people are not, uh, pristine in themselves, they are made to be such by the person and work of Jesus. They are not in and of themselves this way. And so the foibles and the, and the weaknesses and the, and the failures and the mess continues. And that's why I love stories like this. That's why these are of necessity. If they didn't exist, I'd go, what? That, I would become skeptical of all the high, uh, of all the high praise. This shows me there's something, there, this shows me some, as it were, normalcy in here. We've got, there are people in the church that do this kind of thing? Well, what do they do, really? I mean, Peter says, that, Peter says they lied. I mean, and indeed they did, but I think it's a little more intricate than that. Uh, in, in this particular story, Ananias and Sapphira, we, last week, um, as, you, as you may remember from last week, they... Uh, Luke called out a man named Joseph. This is the verse before that. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which also means, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so he gets called out for doing this wonderful thing. And then we see another couple in the church that 
that uh, they sold a piece of property. Now, the difference, the difference between these two people, these two families the, uh, that sold property is Joseph sold his property for, you know, for $100,000 or whatever, whatever price it was. He sold, it, he sold it for the price, and then he brought the whole price to, and he gave it, and, uh, gave it to, the, to the apostles for their, use, for their using it with mercy and with the work of the, of the ministry. Um, and they said, and he, and he said, um, Joseph, presumably, here's what I sold it for, and you can have it all. Whereas Ananias and Sapphira, the difference between what they did is they sold it for a price, 100000 and they brought 75000 and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, we sold it for 75000 and we're bringing it all. Now, why would a person do that? Why, and not just a person do that. Why, why would a husband and wife team up to do this? There was no requirement to sell property. Nobody was, nobody, they weren't breaking any rules by not, by not selling property. There was no rule that if you sold a property, you had to bring it all. There, was, no, there, weren't, there, there, was no, there was no format to this. It was just simple generosity. People can, they, they, the other passages in Scripture in, in Acts and the other passages of Scripture in general tell, tell us, give us the principle of generosity, which is be, be generous, give, give what you wish to give. give there's, no, there's no formalized guideline that if you sell a piece of property, you have to give the church everything of it. And not even a measurement. You, you, can give, you can give anywhere from nothing to everything. You decide. But why, why would a couple conspire together to go in on this, on this, uh, on this ruse to say they sold it for 75000 but they actually sold it for 100000 and only to give a portion of it. Why couldn't they just say, well, yeah, we sold it, and you know, we gave three-quarters of it to, to the church. Wouldn't that, I mean, that's a generous thing. I mean, how much property have you sold and given all of it to the church? I haven't. I'm probably not going to ever do that. I mean, you know, we're generous as we're, as, God, as, we're, as we're generous. I mean, and generosity is a principle, but I'm not... I'm not sold. I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not running into too many people who sell a piece of property and give it all, give it all to the church. Why, why would they? Why would they act? Why would they act like they gave it all when they only gave a portion? When the portion they gave was huge. It's not just that's not just simple lying. But why would they lie? I mean, it is a lie. It's not factual truth, but it's not. But where, what generates that kind of a lie? Where does that, where does that come from? What, what motivates a person to want to want to put on a put on a, 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 a false impression? It's it's pretension. It's what it is. It's pretension. They wanted to be perceived. What is pretension? You ever run into pretentious people? What do you think of them? Do you like pretentious people? No, not normally. Pretentious, 
pretentious is when I want to ha- when I want to have the reputation or the image of someone I don't currently have. I want to I want to be more I want to be thought more thought well of more than I than I uh, currently am. They wanted to be thought Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be thought as if they were the kind of people who wouldn't keep any, any of the sale of a property, that they would give everything to the Lord, that they, were, that they were the kind of people who were just un... You know, they were the kind of people just like Joseph was. They're not three-quarter people. They're whole, whole 100% people. And Peter sees this And he calls it out, and then God judges them for it. Right then, spontaneously, immediately, severely. And people start to get a little nervous about that. It says that they were, what does it say? What what does it say? A great fear seized, this is in verse 5. If I can, if, if I, I'm, I'm st- starting to get where I can't read things. I, but I swear I'm not going to get a big print Bible. I'll read it from, I'll read it from my phone before I do that. It's in verse five. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Why are they afraid? Huh? A lot of people thinking. Oh my, I was going to sell that property, but now I'm not going to do it. No. <laughs> why, that, why would that, why, you hear a story like that, why are you afraid? Well, I, I think people are afraid the same reason I, the reason I hope you're afraid. The reason I'm afraid is because the same spirit of pretension the same tendency to put on a mask, the same, the, same, uh, the same spirit of wanting to look better, to be perceived better than I am, the same, the same spirit, the same essence that Ananias, that Ananias and Sapphira were, were, ha- were experiencing, that same essence resides in my heart and resides in your heart. And resided in the hearts of everybody who heard this story. That's why they're afraid. Because they're saying to themselves, the fear, the fear that rises up, that seizes you almost immediately, that same, the fear that rises in the human heart when they hear a story like this is is saying, is highlighting in each one of us, that could have been me. That could still be me. Yeah. That's That's what it's supposed to do. And here's the thing, we, we don't need a story like this to make that point. That point is true with or without this story. That point is true with or without this reality. You and I are culpable before God. You and I are guilty. You and I are shameful. You and I are responsible. You and I are pretentious. 
You and I are capable of all the things that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, of the hatreds, of the murderous thoughts, of the lustful gaze, of the sinful captivations. You and I are, are, are culpable of those things, and those things deserve immediate and unrelenting judgment. They do. That's what stories like this teach us. And it's true with or without the story. It's always been true. People ask me all the time. They say, you know, some of the same people that I talk to about, about why they go to church or why they don't go to church, and they're exploring and curious about the Bible, and they go, you know, Drew, I really have a heart. I, I, I had a gentleman, you know, a gentleman I was talking to, um, a young, young man who said, uh, I really have a hard time with, with, the, with the God in the Old Testament. The Bible, the God of the Bible, the Old Testament, he just, it's so severe, it's so judgmental, it, just, it lacks love. There's a sense where it's just always, you know, he's coming down, and they wonder why are all these stories in here? Why is there all this judgment? Why is all this sort of condemnation? And, and we had a minute where I was able to talk a little bit about that, but often people don't... Like, don't allow you to linger long enough to talk about the, the, the reason for all these stories the re is because that's what sin deserves. God, and we want a God like that. We want God. There has to be a God like that. I had a friend uh, who, who uh, when I first met him, uh, he had a, he had just had a young baby girl. And he didn't, and he didn't, know, he didn't know Christ, and I, and I had asked him, you know, um, about why. He says, you know, he says, I, I, just, don't, I just don't believe. He says, I, I just don't believe in guilt. He says, guilt, he says, Drew, this is the philosophy. He says, this is, the, this is my thing. Guilt is like, um, guilt is like a bag of bricks. And he's telling me, and, and I'm curious about everybody's spiritual journey, and I, and I want to know what they believe. And I, and I said, well, tell me, what, you, what do you believe? How do you, how do you believe this works out? And uh, he, says, um, he says, guilt is like a bag of bricks. You just got to take it off and put it down, walk away. I said, okay. I said, I, I get that, but I get that. He says, so, so this whole concept of sin and retribution, and he says, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a religious system to create you know, needy people. I go, okay. Um, but, suppose, but suppose someone abuses your daughter, your, new, your newborn. Suppose someone abuses your daughter. How do you feel about that system? Do you think that guy should just take off that guilt and like a bag of bricks and put it down and walk away, whoever it was that abused your daughter. And he looked at me and paused, and I, and, and I could see the, the wheels clicking. He says, I never thought of it that way. I said, no. I said, because we need the scales to be evened. What you'd want from that guy is he doesn't get to take his guilt off. He get, you get to rip him limb from limb, just like me. What I want in those moments is I want justice and you want justice. 
Sin requires justice. Brokenness requires justice. Equity, there has to be equity in this world. And love demands equity. One, one theologian says that the, the judgment, that condemnation, that anger, retribution, is love directed at the thing destroying the thing you love. Do you get me? Do you hear that? I'll say it again. Retribution, equity, justice is love directed at the thing destroying the thing you love. And when we see stories like this, we're reminded that God is intending to bring retribution. He, is, he will even the scales. He will ultimately level it. He will ultimately pay for it. How does he will ultimately bring justice to an unjust world and system and hearts? How does he do that without destroying everyone, though? He does that. by bringing the retribution onto himself. The beauty, the beauty of the gospel, the, the glorious nature of the gospel is that you and I, the same spirit of pretension, they're putting on, they're putting on a mask. They're, they're, trying, they're putting on a mask in order to, to, to be thought well of. They're putting on a mask, an identity. To, 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 they're, they're, they're getting credit for something that they didn't deserve. They're, they're creating for themselves their own identity, their own rightness, their own glorious image in front of people. And, the same, and they're doing it in their own effort, in their own conspiring, in their own abilities, teaming up to make this a true thing. He comes in and does it, and then she doubles down, and, and God says, we're not going to have any of that. That's unjust. Now, fortunately, this is not normative. It's not, we don't, we, the pages of Scripture aren't filled with this story, and presumably not, was not the common practice, but, but it is instructive that because that resides in each of our hearts, we, we need to rely upon the system, the person who removes that retribution, the cross is Jesus receiving the death penalty. He's the one receiving the condemnation for what we deserved. You and I, he's the one that when we, that when we admit to our pretension, he's the one that drops dead rather than we. That's the glorious nature of the gospel and how God gets to bring justice at the cross and still save the people. And by when we find ourselves in him, when we, when we put our faith in him, when the grace of God comes to us through, by Christ through faith, when that becomes a part of us, then that judgment, is, that, judgment that retribution, that, that justice counts for me. And I can live boldly and free and without any sense of fear because the payment has already been made. If Ananias and Sapphira believed that they were new creatures in Christ, if Ananias and Sapphira believed 
that it was Jesus' righteousness that was their identity and not their own abilities, not their own obedience or disobedience, that if they believed that Jesus' generosity was what, was what marked them, not their own sense of generosity, then it wouldn't have mattered to them what anybody thought about what they sold the land for or what they kept for themselves or how often they did it. Because when you're living when you're living with the favor of God, when you're living with a, with a palpable, faithful sense that his rightness counts for me, that I'm a mess. I got nothing. When, when, you're, when the gospel teaches you, when the gospel, when, when you and I, by faith, rest in the work of, the, of, of, the, of what Jesus did, when we rest in the truth of what Scripture tells me, that I'm nothing. I am, I'm a mess. In and of myself, I have nothing to commend me. I am as filthy rags. Even my righteousness, Isaiah says, even my righteousness, even the things I do well, is full of filthiness. And they're doing, they're doing a generous thing. They're doing a righteous thing, but it's filthy. It's filthy. And your righteousness is filthy. There's nothing, there's nothing about my righteousness that makes it. There's nothing about anything that I do that's good that has any sense, of, any sense of goodness to it. In and of myself, the only thing that makes it good, the only thing that makes it powerful is Jesus. And my righteousness is, my, my goodness it does, it can't, can't purchase anything. It's so incomplete. It's so, it's so poisoned with my own brokenness and your brokenness. So, and, but yet we're always trying to sort of lay our resume out there. Ananias and Sapphira are, are writing a resume for themselves and putting it out there. Yeah, we're, yeah, sold property, gave it all. Yeah, that's, that's kind of who we are. That's our thing. We sell stuff and we give it to the church and give it all. We give it all. Don't, we, don't need, we don't need anything for ourselves. We're fine. We're doing okay. We're selling property, giving it to the church. We're doing, we're doing just fine. And that same spirit's in each of us. Writing resumes. Putting forward putting forward, putting out there what, what I can do, what I'm, what I'm able. And, and we do it subtly. We do it without thinking. We do it. We, we sort of, you know, migrate towards, you know, or, or we want to make sure people understand, you know, sort of this, you know, oh, just to be clear, I, you know, I did that or, you know, I didn't do the other thing. Just, just want to make sure everybody knows I'm not, you know, I, you know, I wasn't there. Just, just to be sure that I didn't, you know, what I they might have been there. I, wa I wasn't there. I don't know what you saw, but, you know, or what you heard. Maybe you heard, maybe you heard, but we're always trying to sort of correct and make sure people understand what our resume is. Why? Your resume and my resume is filthy. It's completely filthy. It's, and, I, and here's the thing. I only see part of your resume, but, but because the Scripture says your righteousness is as filthy rags and that we're all capable of, a, of a, a whole lot of darkness, I don't even know the half of how filthy your resume is. And that's why operating life, living our lives based on our resume is a failed system. Jesus says, you know, you can operate on your resume or... And you can operate on your resume, and it's like operating in the world with counterfeit money. You might have a lot of counterfeit money, but it ain't going to buy you a thing, right? Not even in Gettysburg. You can't buy. 
You can't buy anything with counterfeit money. Not even, what other southern state? Carolinas, Alabama, you can't buy anything with counterfeit money. You might have a lot of it with your resume, but it ain't going to buy anything. Or, Jesus said, I'll give you my resume. You have my resume, and you can, and you can, you can live your life, and you can barter your systems, and you can go to town with my resume, and, it, it can, and it'll be yours. I'll let you have my whole resume, my whole righteousness. I'll let you have all that I am can be yours, and I'll take your resume, and I'll get what it gets, which is death and condemnation, and I'll give you my resume. How does, how does that sound? And if Ananias and Sapphira had been operating with Jesus' resume, if they had been operating with his righteousness, if they had been living with a sense of God's favor because of Jesus was perfect and they owned his perfection by faith, not by, not by effort, if they had been living that way, they wouldn't have cared what anybody thought about what they did or didn't do with the money they got when they sold the property. And they would have just come and said, here's the money. And if anybody cared to ask, they would have said, sure, yeah, we sold it. And we kept back a little bit, had to pay some of the closing costs and the expenses. And, you know, to be perfectly frank, we, we needed to live on it or whatever. And it wouldn't have mattered. The reputation wouldn't have mattered. And the reason your, the reason your reputation matters or the more that it matters to you, or the more your sense of looking good in the eyes of the people around you, or even in your own eyes, the more you have a sense of that, the more you, you more than likely lack the central captivation of the rightness of Jesus for you. You're not living rooted in God's favor. And I tell you that not as, not, as a, not as a way to condemn you for not doing it the right way, but to tell you, let go of the electric fence that that is. <laughs> Loosen your grip on that, on that desire to want to get everything right and be right and, and, to be, and to live in a pretentious system. Just simply rest in the favor that God has and the rightness that he gives you in, him, in himself and let that propel you to love boldly in this world. And, and to love boldly you rather than motivating yourself out of condemnation and fear and shame. Because Jesus says, at the cross, I let you off the hook because Jesus paid for it. So if you trust in his rightness, if you trust in his grace and forgiveness, you can let yourself off the hook too. And when you don't, you set yourself up as a judge over God. And he says, I forgive you. All is clean. And you say, oh, no, no, Jesus, not unless I see a certain level of, no, I need to get better. I need to be, I need to be moving forward. I need to be cleaner. And Jesus says, I made you completely clean. There's nothing more to clean. Now, that cleanliness when you rest in it, when it's in you, 
when the rightness, when the favor, when the, when the, when the beauty of Jesus resides in a human heart, it resounds and resounds and resounds and echoes and, 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 and progresses and starts to saturate every other broken, sinful, dark place of your heart. And it changes you in the way that you live and think and love. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that... Uh, that you do not give us what our sins deserve, but you have given Jesus what our sins deserve and have given us something we don't deserve, forgiveness, grace, but also a righteousness that cannot be destroyed, a righteousness that, cannot, that, that will not fade or spoil, but that you have given to your children that, can, that, that propels us into this world and gives us confidence and hope and humility. Lord, I pray that as we live by it, you change us and change it, change the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.